Hi, I'm Chris Sarandon, and welcome to Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of the food we grew up with and the people and the stories attached to that time in our lives. Today, I'm uh, obviously coming to you from the Sacred Heart University Community Theater in beautiful downtown Fairfield, Connecticut. And my guest today is actor, writer, producer, Jonathan Stark. Stark created the sitcom, According to Jim, which ran on the ABC network for eight seasons. Previously, he was a writer-producer on Ellen, where he received both the Emmy and Peabody Awards for co-writing the groundbreaking Ellen's coming out episode, The Puppy Episode. He was also a writer on the series The Drew Carey Show, Cheers, and The Bob Newhart Show. And Stark also acts. Having been seen in the films Project X, House 2, and, of course, the original Fright Night. He's an alumnus of the L.A. improv group The Groundlings and is currently a member of three other improvisational ensembles. I'm very, very happy to introduce my friend on screen and in real life, Jonathan Stark. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Chris. You know, I'm going to get a T-shirt made with my resume like that on there, my bio, because <laughs> I just love it. I love listening uh, to it. I, I do, too. But make two of them, okay? I will do. We'll it's do. a deal. It's a deal. Yeah. Uh, so as you may or may not know, I think you do know, that we talk about food and memory on this show. And one of the things I always try to get into originally is family and where you came from. You're from where? Erie, Pennsylvania. Born and raised? Uh, born and, well, until I was about 26, I came out to San Francisco. I mean, yeah, I was... I was in Erie. We used to, we used to, I mean, I love Erie. It's a great place. We, we had yep. names for it though. We called it the mistake on the lake or the gateway to Cleveland, <laughs> but it really is a great town. And I, I it, similarly, I, I, I came from a smaller town. Erie's a fairly good sized city, right? Yeah. I think it's the third largest city in Pennsylvania. Actually. Oh, wow. I had no idea it was that big. Yeah. And, and what was your family's business when you were there? What, what did your My father and mother my dad was an insurance salesman. My mom was a homemaker. Uh, my brother was, uh, I was kind of like the, uh, I, I don't use a mistake. I use an accident because my brother was 15 years older than me. And my sister is 10 years or nine years older than me. So my mom had me when she was 46. Unusual for that time. Yeah. Oh, also yeah. Very, very unusual. Very unusual. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and was your mom, uh, I, for one of a better way of describing it, Susie Homemaker? I mean, was she was very, very much into uh, making life in the home comfortable for everybody? Well, you know, I mean, she, she did some cleaning. We had, a, we had a, a person that would come in once a week and do the cleaning, and she would do the, the cooking, you know. What was it? Because let's, let's get to the nub yeah. of things here. What was the cooking like around your house? The cooking around my house was... Basically, well, let, let me preface it by saying I am the opposite of probably you and probably a lot of the people that watch this. I'm not a foodie. When I go visit somebody in a hospital and I see any food left over, I go, you going to eat that? <laughs> I, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my, I'll, I'll, I'll eat whatever. Um, right. And I don't do a lot of cooking. I mean, I fix, I go over to the supermarket, get a salad, and I'll fix myself turkey burger, stuff like that. Right. But my mother was a wonderful cook with baked goods, and she made amazing baked goods. To this day, I still like it's my, you know, Achilles heels, baked goods. But um, she also 
did really well with like meat and potatoes kind of stuff. But boy, he comes to vegetables. She just boiled them. That was it. She just boiled. I, and, and I, I remember thinking there must be a better way to make vegetables. Even when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And I used to have to sit, you know, at the table, I was one of those kids who had to sit there until I finished what was on my plate. Yeah. Yeah. This is not unusual for, for people in our uh, age range. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I would, and I would, I had a little thing. I, I lived next door to a vacant lot with lots of trees and bushes and stuff. And after they would leave the table and go in and watch TV, I would just wrap up the food and heave it out the back door into the lot. <laughs> so I, yeah, I mean, I was throw it away. It was, well, it was a win-win. It was win for me and win for those animals that were probably, you know, <laughs> creeping around the lot looking for some kind of looking for overboiled parsnips. God. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. so fresh vegetables were not at, at a premium when you were growing up? We had a garden. Similar oh, to similar to the one you have. Uh, not yeah. quite as big, but it was pretty good size. And we had fre- we had fresh peas and tomatoes and zucchini, lots of different stuff. But for some reason I didn't want fresh peas. I liked the canned ones. Why I don't know. I don't I anymore. Well, but. Probably because they were adulterated in some way, and that flavor <laughs> were, is just they had a little sugar in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So the so, so the typical meal at your house, especially around dinner time, was uh, the main the main course was meat. It was always some kind of meat, chick, some chicken, you know, but usually potato. My mom was Irish, German, you know, Scottish heritage, so there was kind of that whole thing, but. I, I do remember one specific thing was that she would make tongue. Now, I, I assume a lot of people watching this eat tongue. You, you go to a deli, you get tongue. They slice it up. They put it on a sandwich. Well, my mother never sliced it up. She just put a big honk and tongue on the table. And I'd have to sit there and look at it. And, and it'd be like, oh, my God, I got to eat this. Uh, uh, it's interesting because... Tongue has kind of gone out of fashion. When I was growing up, same thing. You know, there were tongue sandwiches at my dad's restaurant. Uh, we had tongue at home. I avoided it assiduously. You know, I just hated the idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was uh, like one of the principal kind of sandwich meats uh, that was around, uh, especially in, I think, working class uh, towns. And yeah. my hometown, Beckley, West Virginia, was a working, you know, it was a coal mining town. And yes. so uh, uh, cheaper cuts of, of meat and uh, particularly of sandwich meat, that's got that kind of thing. You know, they, yeah. they didn't have sliced turkey. It yeah. was essentially it was tongue or salami or, you know, something that had been highly processed. Right, right. And I know Beckley. Remember, I told you, I, I, I spent a, a semester at uh, a Beckley Community College. So that's I know right. Beckley. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful town. Beautiful it is. Town. Very, yeah, yeah. very beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. So what was, what was it like around the dinner table since you had older siblings? Were they gone by the time you they were gone? They were gone. Yeah, they were gone. My sister was gone by the time. She was nine years older, so she went to college at 18, and I would have been uh, nine. And at the same time, uh, when I was nine, my father passed away. So it was my mother and I me and and then my grandmother came to live with us so it's basically my you know my grandmother and my mother and I at the, right. at the table and you know I I was just I was one of those kids in the neighborhood just all I wanted to do was get on my bike stay outside until it was dark so I'd eat so fast just to get out of there 
and, and, you know, get on my bike and, you know, we had a couple more hours of daylight left. Right. So to this day, I still eat fast. I, I just, I shovel it in. I'm just and the I opposite. I, I used to eat very slowly when I was a kid. And I don't know if you were the same, but I would pick things apart on my plate. Oh, if there was celery in the food, I would always separate the celery. And I'd also eat things in a kind of uh, rotation mm-hmm. so that I finished uh, equally all the way around the table. I didn't eat one thing up because I liked it more. Yeah, I'd, I'd eat a little of the potatoes, then I'd eat a little of this, and then I'd eat a little of that. So that by the time, I was very OCD when I was a kid. Oh, well, my, my, my youngest daughter is very similar to that. No, nothing can touch still. She's 20, uh, 26 almost, and she still, that's the way she eats. Now I just uh, slop it all together. Yeah. What yeah. the hell? <laughs> well, why not? It all goes to the same place, as they say, right? Right. Was there, was there a lively conversation at the table? Um. No, I couldn't call <laughs> I mean, her lively. <laughs> she was my mother, and she was my grandmother, and we got along fine. But it wasn't like we had sparkling. Well, I mean, it, you know, I couldn't talk about uh, I, I couldn't talk about Nixon and the Vietnam War. My God, they were Republicans, and I was, you know, kind of a hippie at the time. So as I got older, so that was that was verboten. You know, I couldn't do that. Um, yeah, it was we talked, you know, but I would I. The, the, the the times I do remember that were really great uh, is is Christmas dinner and Thanksgiving dinner. Ah, holidays, yeah, yeah. What were um, they? Uh, they were we, we, my my great uncle would come in from out of town. My my grandmother would be there. We'd have a full. We had a big dining room table. And it was full, you know. And my mom would really just make everything. And you know, with with Thanksgiving stuff, there's not a lot that you can boil that you can ruin it's mostly just stuffing and turkey and mashed potatoes you know and those little pearl onions which i can still remember but um my one thing was i think it was for christmas i always had to eat until i got sick to my stomach and that was my thing it was like a tradition with me and then i'd go lie in the and (laughs) i'd lie in the living room going oh Oh, so I don't, I don't know why uh, I don't do that anymore. But uh, right, the table it wasn't only the table that was groaning; it was you. It was, yeah. They were all still in there, and I was just uh, like ready to throw up. Any any unique uh, events that occurred on on holiday dinners? Um, I mean, was it a, was it a calm time usually at holidays, or was it a? Oh yeah, it was fun. I mean, we had uh, when my dad was alive, and then even after that, we we had the holidays were good. Christmas was great. Um, you know, we had a tree, and I would put up the lights, and yeah, we would have a. It was it was a good holiday. I still love Christmas, my favorite time of year. What What was your favorite meal at home? Oh gosh, snack. Was there something that was? That you that stood out to you when, whenever you that you look forward to. Well, my mom used to make this thing. I, I don't know if they still make it, but she they had like the Oreo type wafers. They weren't that didn't have the stuff inside. They were just the wafers, and she'd put them together with some kind of whipped cream stuff. Oh my god, they were good. I mean, I would just like I would plow through that stuff, and you right. know, and I was I was like thin as a rail. Did you guys ever go out? No. No, not in, Never. You, you didn't really go out in Erie in the 60s and uh, early 70s. In fact, my, my, my mom, for some reason, had this vendetta against pizza. She hated it and would never order it. So I never had pizza until I, 
came out to San Francisco and never had a bagel because here he's, you know, doesn't have a lot of bagel places. No. They may now, but back yeah, right. then they didn't. So where did, uh, out of this kind of, you know, your father having passed away, you're with your mom, your grandma, uh, uh, and your, your sister was gone, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. were in a house of women. Absolutely. Essentially. Where yeah. did the performing happen? How did the performing happen? Well, first I want to say I was in a house of women. I always tell this to Linda, and I say, I have two daughters. So I said, I think I'm being paid back for something. <laughs> but <laughs> um, the performance came from this. I was in a thing, you know, in junior high school called the Mill Players, and we did, uh, you know, Anything Goes, King and I, and all that stuff. We did all the musicals, and we did two weekends. But the most fun was we pitched in and, and built sets, painted sets. Uh, we were, it was a great camaraderie thing. I was never one of the leads cause I didn't have the voice for a, for a musical, yep. but, but I remember one specifically, uh, when we did the King and I, I was one of the guards who, uh, who, <laughs> who would come out the side of the, the stage and whenever the King was there, I'd have to stand there like this, you know, and I, you know, had the, the turban on and the right. diaper and, and, uh, were you and all the, yeah, yeah, basically, and all the they right. make up my whole body with this dark makeup. Ooh, and uh, and one one day the director calls me and goes, or we were in there and goes, okay, I'm going to make up on on your body, but you you can only wash your face because we're we, we're almost out of makeup. So for a week, I had to wear this this that was you coming off of my clothes. You know, you week. know what makeup like? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. We used to use something called Texas dirt. Uh, I don't know if that's familiar to you. You came in a can, and you had a uh, I don't, sponge, no, I don't and know then that. you spread it all over your body if you were playing a, a swarthier, you know, darker person. And yeah. I, I remember my first job, uh, equity job, was at a theater in Maryland when I was in graduate school, and I was the only uh, 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 non-ethnic person in the play. And mm-hmm. the girl who was playing opposite me was very fair-skinned, and she was covered with Texas dirt. And I was a sailor, and I had a white sailor outfit on. And every time we would come into contact with each other, my, my entire <laughs> body was covered with Texas dirt on stage. I mean, it was, you know, and she refused wow. to powder it down. She refused to do anything. So you had some laundering to do every week. Oh, yeah. yeah well, it was, yeah. Uh, thank God. It was an equity theater. I didn't have to do the laundry. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, so you're, you're doing plays at school. Yeah, and I did any, that. For... Any kind of improvisation? No, no, no. Never did improvisation. Um, I, I did some plays at school, and then I stopped because I thought, you know, once I got into high school and stuff, I stopped. I didn't think it was ever going to be a career for me. And then I went to college and I was getting a degree in art education to teach kids. And I realized as a student teacher, I really hated it. So I didn't want to be one of those teachers who was teaching kids and not into it. Yeah. It's not fair to the kids. Yeah. And I started hanging out with uh, the theater crowd. And, you know, the theater crowd's the best. I mean, that's they're oh, the most interesting, funny, great people ever. So my, I was just loving it. So... After I got, after I graduated, uh, I was kind of just, just hanging around going, I don't know, I guess I'll be a substitute teacher, but I don't really want to be. A friend of mine said, hey, at the college, they're doing, uh, uh, what is it, 1776. 
and there's an open spot. Somebody just left. He, you could walk right into it if you wanted to, because he knew I had done some acting. And I said, okay. So, you know, I, the moment I went back on the stage, I said, this is, I, I love this. That was and it. That was it. You know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as an actor and anybody listening to this as an actor that loves what they do, you know, the stage is home. And that the, the profession itself is a calling. It, 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 it's, it's it, not, it is. It's not something that is, at least in my case, and I have a feeling in yours, and a lot of people that I know, particularly my generation, that it's not about becoming famous. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the thing that you do. It's about the process itself. Yeah. But, That's you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of kids are, the dang kids today, they just want to get you famous. You know, they, I mean, but that's true. A lot of kids, it's just about being famous. And you go, well, good luck if you want to be an actor. I mean, that's few and far between. Just love the craft and, and, and try and keep working and make a living. So, so uh, for, for the transition from the college thespian to uh, uh, improvisational comedy, how did that happen? Um, I went out to San Francisco and I took a class. There was a thing called the Stage Group Theater. Uh, a guy named Wendell Phillips. He worked at the Group Theater. He was part of the Group Theater. Mm -hmm. And I started taking these classes. I took classes, acting classes, for about two years in San Francisco. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy comes in, uh, and he had worked with the committee. And he and they said, "Oh, well, he's teaching in an improv class. You know, do you want to take it?" And I said, uh, "Absolutely. I, I would love to take it. I've never done it before." And so I took this one class and that was it. And I moved down to LA. I'm going to be an actor. And I was living in this, uh, in, in a room in somebody's house. And I really wanted to get out on my motorcycle. All I had was a motorcycle and I was driving up and down sunset. And all of a sudden you hear, Hey, John, John Stark. I'm like, I don't know anybody in LA. So I, this guy I knew Chuck and he's, we, taking this improv class together. He says, Hey, I'm doing a, I'm doing a class over at a place called the LA connection. And I said, okay, why not? I'm not doing anything else. So I, I took the class and, uh, I, I had a wonderful teacher a guy named Taylor Negron, who was who a wonderful actor. And, uh, I just, I got hooked and I still have the friends I started with. I, most of them today. And the improv companies that you're with now, essentially a lot of the same people. Uh, some of the same people. I, I'm, I'm not with any specific group. I, I'm with uh, one called the Transformers, and we've been performing together five guys since 92. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, then there's the Groundlings. I do Once in a while, I do shows for them. And then there's a, I do a, a thing called Immediate Theater with a guy named Dan Castellaneta. I don't know if you know Dan. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, the Simpsons yeah. and you, know, you name and it. Homer Simpson. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he and his wife do this workshop and it's i love doing it it's really my my passion i found it really interesting because my first equity job was with a small theater company in washington dc and a lot of what we did was the guy who ran the company uh had trained with viola spola and so we played a lot of theater games just on our own when we had spare time and we also did uh plays in the schools to support ourselves and then at night we did experimental plays, and then the last part of the evening, we did improv with the audience. And there's something about that kind of training where you're literally uh, figuring it out on your feet 
that really stands you in good stead as an actor because in acting, the important thing is to stay in the moment. And that's what improv forces you to do. You can't think ahead. You have to be there then, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people always ask me what, you know, any advice to, for starting actors? And I say, yeah, go start taking improv classes. You don't have to be in a company, but just no. start learning it because it absolutely, I think it's the best thing uh, that ever, that I ever learned. And I think it's, it's, it's no, um, uh, it's not un uh, unusual when you think about it, that so many of the, the, the people who have come out of improv and become big stars, quote unquote, uh, have had that kind of training and, and it works really well for you when you're working in movies, particularly when you're working in movies and television. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in the, in the, when I auditioned for Fright Night, I think you've probably heard this story, but I, I auditioned for that, that the scene I auditioned was, was the one with uh, Detective Lennox. Right. And, and, uh, all the stuff of like doing this and going, woo, uh oh. And then, and then, you know, that wasn't there. Yeah, I just put it in because I yeah. thought, well, what the hell, you know? I I want to I want to uh, the, the idea is to throw him off, throw the detective off, not be menacing. That right. any detective would go, hold on a second. Yeah, so yeah. I thought, just throw him off and and try and make Charlie seem like he's an idiot. So that was my take on it. I guess Tom liked it. Yeah, exactly. And and the the idea that you are uh, pur pursuing an objective, mm -hmm. pursuing an action rather than it's being you're playing a scene. Right. Makes all the difference in the world because it, oh, it not only gives the actors... Well, anyway, we won't get yeah. into shop talk because I want to get on to uh, how then the transition happened between from, from your performing to your writing because you became a very successful writer. I was performing and I was doing uh, stuff and, and, you know, I had it been a while and I was going out for smaller parts and I thought, you know, yeah, I can do it, but uh, a friend of mine... Bill Steinkellner and his wife, Sherry, were running Cheers. And they said, you know, you guys should write. You should be a writer. And I said, well, I don't write. And he said, well, you improvise. So you write. You write on your feet. So I grabbed my partner, Tracy Newman, who is Lorraine's sister. Uh, and uh, I said, she, she's a founding member of the Groundlings. And I said, let's, let's write some stuff. Let's see what we can do. So we wrote about four scripts and sent them out with no luck. And, and one day I just called up Sherry to say I, we wanted a phone number for a friend. And she said, you guys still writing stuff? I said, yeah. She said, send me a script. So we sent her a Murphy Brown. And two days later, she calls up and she goes, you guys want to be on Cheers? <laughs> like, wow. uh, yeah. Um, but it was scary because these guys were, these writers were amazing. And well, that Jimmy Pearls was in, yeah. So tell, talk, talk about the writers in that room. Yeah, there was, well, there was Jimmy Burroughs and, and Ted would always come in and, and the Charles brothers and, and you had um, Tom Anderson and, and, you, and, and I mean, and, and we'd have David Lloyd in there. He'd come in once a day and, or once a week and, and Bob Ellison and these guys were uh, champs. I mean, they were the best. So, of course, uh, we were terrified because we didn't have any class of like, now they have classes of like, well, what, what's it like to be in the writer's room? We didn't have that. So we had to learn on our feet. It was like a year, free year of college, really. With the best. Oh, with the best. Absolutely. With the best. I mean, yeah. Best and, and we learned, we learned that you can write a TV show and be out by seven or eight o'clock unless you've got major problems. I mean, a lot of TV shows go till midnight and 
when I was on Drew Carey, they said, well, the magic doesn't happen until after midnight. And I was like, no, my magic's way gone by then. <laughs> uh, speaking of f- food, let's jump back there for a second. Yeah. Uh, uh, was there a difference? Because you were on a lot of successful shows. Have you ever been on a show that was not as successful? Something that sort of yeah. died on the vine? I did. I was, was on a, a difference in the in the catering. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, I think that's true. It depends on their budget. Now, Drew Carey used to have, you know, three turkeys, five pies. I mean, they'd have four big tables of uh, during on show night. Right. This had one half table with just snacks. Right. Right. Um, with pre wrapped pre wrapped candy and y- yes, sort of thing. yeah. I was on a show called Hardball, which was about baseball. Dan Florek was on it. Joe Rogan. Uh, Allie Wentworth, uh, 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 Bruce Greenwood. I mean, it was a great cast, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of problems, not writing. The writers were great. It was just a lot of problems with Fox, but I remember we, we were having trouble getting, getting a audience cause it was a live show. And all of a sudden they bring the audience in and it's kind of quiet. And, and, and I'm noticing there's not much laughs. And I said, what's with the audience? And they say, Oh, it, it, they're from a prison. And I said, I said, and they, they actually had, they actually had leg chains on and somebody had to say, can you keep the chains a little quiet? <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a new one. I must say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, so the, but the, the sitcom process itself to me is fascinating because I know that uh, I've guest starred on a couple of shows. Uh, I did one, um, um, Love and War. Uh, I did a pilot for Gene Reynolds. Do you remember who Gene Reynolds was? I do, yeah. One of the sure. creators of MASH. MASH. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, amazing guy. The pilot that never got picked up. Uh, and there, there's something about that familial thing that happens when you're doing a show, not a show that's filmed out on locations, but something that's in a room, in a studio. Yeah. Uh, and that's shot with either three camera, you know, it's either three camera or one camera, whatever it is. But right. That's, um, that has a real sort of unique feeling to it. Yeah. Well, it's like doing a play every Friday night. Yeah. You know, because you'd usually do it in order and you got the audience, uh, you know, uh, responding, hopefully. So it, it's got that real feeling of those of us who love theater. It's, it's just like it, really. I mean, yeah. you don't have the proscenium, proscenium but you have, you have the, all the things laid out and the audience right in front of it. And I think a, a lot of times the, the people who work best on those shows are people who either, either have theater experience or, ha- or, or those who have stand-up yeah. experience. You know, stand-up's an interesting thing. It, it can either be really good or really a problem. I mean, my feeling was always, and I would, I would tell when I was doing, according to Jim, I'd always say, Jim, don't worry about the jokes, just act the scene. If, yeah. if that, if the, if the audience isn't laughing and you're acting a scene, then that's our bad. We'll fix that. But it, you hit a joke too hard sometimes and you're actually kind of ruining the joke. You just got to yes. play it normally. Yeah. So, if you know, you and he's usually coming. pretty good about that. Yeah. If you see it coming, then you're not you're not playing the the moment. Yeah, yeah, and he was good about it. I mean, he, he would go back and you say, "Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, so I'll play it a little more subtle." I'm I'm a big believer in 
subtlety in both acting and, and comedy, any, anything basically you're doing for an audience. Absolutely. Well, not on stage maybe, but, but for when you're close up. Uh, even to a certain extent on stage, it depends. Depends on yeah. the, the kind of the, the genre. Um, right. Was there, um, do you, are you still in touch with any of the people that you work with on either Jim or any of the previous or subsequent shows? Yeah, I, I'm in touch with a lot of the writers. I, I mean, I don't see them that often, but yeah, I mean, one of the writers on uh, a guy named John Beck on According to Jim, he actually, when my daughter was doing, was going to prom, my oldest daughter, he came by with his car, put on a chauffeur's hat and drove her to prom and picked her up. I mean, we're all, we're all good friends. I mean, I don't see everybody, don't keep in touch with everybody, but I keep in touch with a lot of people out from Ellen and uh, a few people from Cheers. So, yeah, I it's, mean, you know. It's interesting how chemistry either occurs or doesn't occur in a cast. Uh, yeah. John and I, for those of you listening who may not know it, we're both in a movie called Fright Night, uh, which has a kind of cult following that's kind of developed over, over the years. And we are all still... When we see each other, we fall back into almost the same pattern of of friendship and particularly of laughter that occurred when we were on the set. Uh, and we had a great time doing it. And I think that's part of what kept the, the friendships enduring uh, and also the personalities of the people. And there's no way to plan that. You know, the cast either has a chemistry or it doesn't. I, I always talk about the fact that the thing I remember most on Fright Night was how much we would laugh. We, you know, a lot of my scenes were with you and Billy Ragsdale. And we would sit there, you know, they, they have the stand-ins come, but then you always got to come in and there's always a few last-minute adjustments. You got five minutes or so. And we just sit there and laugh. And I remember Tom would go, come on, you guys, come on, let's, let's, we got to do this now. We go, oh yeah, okay, got our serious faces on. But almost Every scene there that you were serious when I was in the scene, you know, five seconds before the start of that, you were laughing. Yeah. So that's what a, that's why you're a good actor. You can just put it on and take it off. And that's what I, I, I think is great about actors. Uh, and and the, the particular chemistry of this, this group of people has endured for a long time. I know that uh, um, it's something that I cherish. Really. Oh, me too. And Amanda is hysterically funny. Stephen is 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 funny, but will also likes to just be part of it and listen. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and William Bill Ragsdale is one of the funniest human beings I've ever met in my life. Don't and, don't say that. He's going to get a big head now, and he's going to write right. me and say okay. no. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So I, I'm going to con- conclude with a, a a question that I almost ask. Uh, almost I ask everybody. Um, okay. What's the strongest, most vivid memory you have? growing up uh, that has to do with food, but not necessarily the food itself. It can be about the food, but, but a, a person that's associated with it. Uh, I know that, for instance, you know, when I grew up in my, my dad's restaurant, there was mm-hmm. a guy who was the kind of major domo of the restaurant. He was kind of a host, and he was, he was Lebanese, and he had a very sort of uh, a strong uh, Middle Eastern accent, and he, was, he had the shape of a bowling ball, literally, and he was constantly doing a Groucho Marx with his eyebrows at every woman who walked into the restaurant. That's what I'm I'm looking for. Is there anything like that that's occurred in your life that you just hearken back to and go, oh, yeah? 
I, I do. I can remember, and I was quite young. My dad was alive at the time, and, and we would go to church every Sunday. And after church, we would always go to a place called the Erie Restaurant. And their lo- specialty was lobster. Uh, and we'd always have a meal. And my mother told me, she go, she, I said, oh, that sounds like fun. She goes, yeah, it wasn't so much because every time I'd look over, you were gone and you were at somebody else's table going, can I have some of that? <laughs> so but, those, those, but those were the kind of places like they had great food. They're gone now. You know, a lot of those yeah. places are gone, but they had great food. Well, John, I want to thank you so much for having this chat with us today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. It was entertaining, enlightening, and above all, it was great from the heart, my friend. Oh, thank yeah. You. Well, always great to see you and talk with you and, and, and talk food. I'm sorry I'm not more of a foodie, but uh, oh, and that's sort of beside the point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Take care and thank you, John Sark. Thank you, Chris. Thank you.